today. If you've got your Bible with you, or uh, the scriptures on some form of media, uh, have it handy. We're going to uh, uh, jump between a couple of passages this morning that were read for you, and we'll get to those in due course. There's a title for you, Dressed for Compassion. Dressed for Compassion. And as I said, we'll look at a couple of scriptures this morning. Won't you pray with me as we just ask the Lord to help us hear, understand, respond, and to give him praise. Father... Your word tells us that you are, you, are the, you are the father of all mercy and the father of all compassion. And this compassion has been displayed in the glory of your son. And we might see it today, that you might open the eyes of our hearts and uh, that our own hearts would be filled with your compassion through your son. And uh, we just commit ourselves to, to coming under your word. Please help us to hear. Please help us to understand. Please help us to believe. And help us to respond in a way that honors and pleases you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now let me start this morning by just giving you a little trajectory of where we've been and where we're going in God's Word. If I could just, could you just put that slide, sort of try and get a big, big picture for me if you can. There it is. So here's a, here's a little journey. What we've been doing is been looking at this whole subject of how do we love our church well? And you don't need to answer, but I, I really hope that you want to love your church well. Jesus wants you to love the church well. And so we started a couple of weeks ago and we looked at Ephesians chapter 4. And what we discovered is that if you're going to love your church well, there needs to be a spirit of humility. There needs to be relational gentleness. There needs to be a, a patience with one another. There needs to be a maintaining of our unity. There needs to be a using of our gifts to build one another up, and there needs to be a speaking in the truth to one another. And then last week, we stepped into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. And you might remember that, that what we discovered there is that if we're going to love each other well, there are times when we need to warn each other when we're a bit unruly. And there are times when we need to encourage one another, especially when we're disheartened or discouraged. And then there are times when we need to help one another when we are broken hearted. And wrapped up in all of that, we discovered that we always need to be patient with one another because we're all unruly. We're all uh, needing in, in encouragement at times and we're all broken hearted at different ways, different times, different levels, different spaces. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to take another step forward in this trajectory of loving the church well as we look at the issue 
of compassion. If we're going to love each other well, we need to display and we need to demonstrate compassion towards one another. If we're going to love our church well, we need to display and demonstrate compassion towards one another. Have a look at this particular verse. Therefore, Colossians 3.12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. God wants us as his chosen, holy, dearly loved people, he wants us to clothe ourselves. He wants us to dress ourselves in compassion. You've probably heard the expression, dressing for success. Have you heard that sort of expression? There's an old song somewhere on it as well. Dressing for success. Well, this morning we want to dress for compassion. And so my title for you this morning is Dressing for Compassion. And we're going to do that under four headings. And this sermon, as we look at some different passages, is going to be a little bit more topical in nature. But here are our four headings. We're going to look at the, the compassion of Yahweh, which is displayed in the compassion of Christ, which culminates at the cross. And then we'll look at how that compassion affects us and applies to us. So let's have a look at our first heading. Well, before we get there, let me ask you this. What do you think is the opposite of compassion? I'm going to give you a word. Shout it out. What do you think it is? What, what's the opposite of compassion? Maybe I won't be able to hear you with all this rain. So I'm going to... Hmm? Cruelty. Cruelty. Yeah. Could be cruelty. Yeah. Certainly. Any other words? Apathy. What's another word for apathy, Tracy? Here we go. I think that's the word. It's indifference. Have you ever had the experience of speaking to someone? You're sharing your heart. You're sharing your heartache. You're sharing what's cutting and hurting. And their whole body language and their verbal language is apathetic or indifferent. How does it feel? You've probably heard it said. You've probably said it yourself. Maybe someone has said it of you. They just don't care. So let's start with the compassion of Yahweh. Yahweh, the Lord, is not indifferent to the suffering of his people, is he? I could give you so many illustrations, but let me just give you one from Exodus chapter 2. And this is while Israel is in the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Exodus chapter 2, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery. They groaned in their suffering and they cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. And verse 25, and so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. 
You could translate verse 25 like this. That God looked Yahweh. He looked on the suffering of his people. And he had, he had compassion upon them. And it was this compassion that led God to raise up Moses to be their deliverer from Egypt. And then a little bit while later, here's a remarkable passage. Moses comes before Yahweh. And he says to Yahweh, this is after the deliverance, God says to Yahweh, now show me your glory. Wow. Show me your glory. And God answers this request in the very next chapter. Take a look. God came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses in, in answer to that request, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Just have a look at that for a moment. Is it not remarkable that the very first characteristic that God shows of himself to Moses is what? His what? His compassion. His compassion. And it's the very thing that Moses needs to see and needs to hear. Why? Because his people are a suffering people. And his people are a sinful people and so what he needs to hear and see is the compassion of God that would go with them all the way up into the promised land but God is not just compassionate to sufferers he is compassionate to sinners isn't he have a look at lamentations lamentations 322 because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassions never fail and is it not remarkable that when king david in psalm 51 after he had abused his power after he had committed adultery after he had murdered uriah the hittite after he continued to lie and be deceitful when he his heart finally breaks before the lord look at what he says lord god have mercy on me according to your unfailing love according to your great compassion blot out my transgressions Yahweh is compassionate to his suffering people. He is compassionate to his sinning people. And that is what you and I need to see more than anything else about God. Why? Because we're a suffering people. And we're a sinful people. Who need to know the compassion of our God. That will never fail. And will take us home right up into eternity but let me ask you this as you sort of get a glimpse of the compassion of Yahweh in the Old Testament where would you where would you expect to see the compassion in full display where would you expect to see it blown out in all its glory where would you expect to see if you like the kaleidoscope of of compassion where would you expect to see it in who it's in Jesus, isn't it? Everything that's in the Old Testament is foreshadowed 
in Jesus. And so have a look at it this way. Look at Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Now what that is saying in the context of compassion is this. The fullness of the compassion of Yahweh is where? In in Christ. The fullness of the compassion of Yahweh lives in Jesus who becomes a man. So if we're going to see all the contours, if we're going to see all the colors, if we're going to see all the brilliance, if we're going to see all the depths, something of the compassion of Yahweh, we're going to see it as we look at Jesus. And if Yahweh is compassionate to sufferers and he's compassionate to sinners, what should we expect to see Jesus be? Compassionate to sufferers and compassionate to sinners. So let's have a look at that. If you've got your Bible, come with me to Mark chapter 5 and just have it open in front of you. You can have a look at it. And I want you to see how Jesus interacts. I want you to see his compassion with the suffering woman in Mark chapter 5. And we've got this account of the bleeding woman. And let me just take a couple of verses from that section that was read. This woman has been bleeding for 12 years. She can't be helped. The doctors can't help her. She spent all that she, she has. And it says, she comes up behind him in the crowd. She says, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. These miracles are so familiar. And it's so easy just to simply look at the miracle and go, wow, what power coming out of Jesus. I mean, you just touch his clothes and power emanates all out of him. I mean, extraordinary. But in a sense, this is faith, isn't it? What is faith? Faith is reaching out to touch Jesus and be healed. But what's astonishing here is what Jesus does after he's touched. What does he do? He looks around to see who? Who touched him? There's a throng, there's a crowd, there's thousands. And your disciples, they sort of turn around and say to Jesus, Ooh, Rabbi, what you fussing about all that for? Let's just keep going. But he doesn't. He stops and he looks around. He wants to know who has touched him. And suddenly the woman, knowing that Jesus is looking for her, she, she comes before him face to face. Jesus wants to meet this woman because he wants her to know that she hasn't been healed by magic. She's been healed by Jesus. She's been healed by a person. She's been healed by the power of Jesus. But I also, what I want you to see is the personal compassion of Christ. Do you notice there's no impersonal miracle going on here? It's not like, well, just come up behind me, touch my hand, get healed, and then just move on. Here is a woman that on and off has been bleeding uncontrollably, menstruating for 12 years. According to the religious laws, this made her unclean. If you touched her, you were unclean. She was most certainly not able to go to the synagogue because of her impurity. 
Excessive bleeding in this way would have made personal intimacy very, very difficult. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus stops to meet her. He stops and he moves towards her. He's moved by her condition and her suffering. And notice it says, it says that she'd suffered a great deal at the hands of so many doctors. She spent all that she had. She's, she's basically on the poverty line because of what has happened. She's helpless. She's powerless. She's almost destitute. And what does Jesus do? He moves towards her in what? In compassion. To alleviate her suffering and her poverty-stricken condition. What a picture of the compassion of Jesus. But let me show it to you in, in another one. And perhaps in some ways it might be a little bit heightened as Jesus shows his personal compassion to a suffering man. Mark chapter 1. And again, a couple of verses. A man with leprosy comes to him and begs him on his knees, If you are willing, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. I'll come back to that. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now, I want you to have a look at that word indignant. In, in, in this particular verse in the Greek, indignant is probably not the best translation. What it, it, what it says in the Greek is that Jesus was filled with tenderness. It says that Jesus was filled with compassion and it says that Jesus was willing to heal can you see again can you see the movement of Christ towards the sufferer to alleviate the pain to alleviate the suffering and there is desire I am willing I want to that's my heart that's what I do what we've got to understand is that compassion is not a mere feeling of sympathy or pity or empathy. But what compassion does is it moves towards the sufferer in order to alleviate the pain, if possible. And did you notice when it was read that before Jesus healed the man, he did what? He touched him. He touched him. He didn't touch the man to heal him. He touched him as a, as a touch of personal compassion. He, he moves towards, he touches the untouchable. I know we can't relate because leprosy is just not part of our, our current world or in terms of our immediate uh, culture. Leprosy was a desperate expression of loneliness, helplessness, and suffering. Lepers... They were outcast. If you were a leper, you had to warn everybody that you came into contact with, unclean, unclean, and everybody would spread. They weren't allowed into the synagogues. Uh, they, they actually weren't even allowed to live within the walls of Jerusalem. Leprosy was a life of deep suffering, deep isolation. You notice the personal touch? He reaches out and he, and he touches the man. It's no well just be clean and then off you go and go and show the religious elite what's happened. He moves towards the leper. He touches the untouchable. He touches the unclean. He touches the 
contaminated. And it's picture after picture after picture of the compassion of Jesus. Look at Jesus and the suffering widow in Luke chapter 7. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, listen, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the coffin that they were carrying him in and the bearer stood still. He said to the man, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. It's an astonishing miracle that Jesus can raise the dead. But don't miss the compassion. She is a grief-stricken widow. And what does it say of Jesus? His heart went where? His heart went out to her. Jesus was moved by her tears. He was moved by her grief. He was moved by her heartache. He says to her, don't cry. And you've got to realize that this woman was a widow. Her husband is dead. Now her son, who is a young man, is dead. And to be a widow and to be childless in that culture, it was almost like a death sentence. It would, it would mean to have lived on the poverty line. The young man is dead. The young boy, he was probably now the provider for his mother. Jesus is not just giving, he's not just giving her son back, but he's, He's providing for her within the miracle. Do you see it again? Compassion is not just a mere feeling. It's not just a mere sentiment. It's not mere empathy. It, 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 is, it is a movement towards the sufferer to alleviate, to provide, to help. The compassion of Yahweh was seen towards sufferer and seen towards sinner. So again, we, we see it towards Jesus, oh, Jesus and, and his compassion towards the sinful woman. And if you've got your Bible and you want to flick across to Luke chapter 7, again, just a little segment from the reading. When, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had, been, who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And we know, don't we? We know from the rest of the account that the Pharisee named Simon, he was absolutely disgusted at the behavior of Jesus. Look at this. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is 
Aí sonar. Jesus moving towards the sufferer, moving towards the sinful. The glorious, sinless son of man letting a sinful woman touch his feet, kiss his feet, wet his feet, dry his feet with her hair. This is unfathomable compassion of Jesus, which was unfathomably disgusting for the Pharisee. And we see this compassion over and over, don't we? Do you remember John chapter 8? You remember the woman that was caught in adultery and was brought before Jesus? And they were coming to test Jesus and wanted to stone the woman? Now, Jesus doesn't condone the adultery in John chapter 8. He says to her, go and sin no more. But he protects her. He protects her from these bigoted religious hypocrites that want to test him, trip him, and cause damage and hurt to this woman. And so this movement of Jesus towards the sinful, let me give you... Another one, Jesus and the sinful man. We didn't read this one, but uh, do you remember old Zacchaeus? Remember him? In Luke chapter 19, just a couple of verses. You can read it later on. You remember Jesus? He, he's walking along. He reaches the spot and he looks up. Zacchaeus, the short man's gone up in the sycamore tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. You know that Jesus stopped under the tree of the most notorious thief in all of Israel. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, which meant he was the chief thief. He stops under the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down. And before the dinner is over later that day, Jesus is declaring that Zacchaeus, the notorious thief, is a son of Abraham and is saved. How was Jesus known by his enemies? What did the enemies of Jesus say about Jesus? He is the friend of sinners. Let me give you one more movement of Jesus towards a sinful man. This one's extraordinary because this movement didn't come when Jesus was on earth. It came when Jesus was in heaven. And he moved to the sinner called the Apostle Paul, who was Saul. Listen to this. Jesus is now in heaven. While Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he could find anyone who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus... On his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard the voice of Jesus say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is it not extraordinary, folks, that Jesus in heaven, it's like he rips the veil of heaven apart and he moves towards the most notorious, self-righteous, bigoted, murderous, violent Jew on the face of the planet and saves him by grace. 
Picture after picture of the compassion of Jesus to the sufferer, to the sinner. And where does it all culminate? Where is it actually most vividly seen and displayed even more than what we've seen is where? At the cross. Look how Matthew puts it in Matthew 8, 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and he bore our diseases. Peter, who received so much grace as a sinner, put it like this. He said, he himself, Christ, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. As Jesus moves towards the cross, as he embraces the cross, we are witnessing the ultimate display of the compassion of Jesus to his suffering people and his sinful people. By his wounds, we are healed. It doesn't mean that all our suffering will end now, but his wounds guarantee that our suffering will end. And his wounds now do mean that we can be forgiven now. We can be made right with God now. We can be forgiven now and forever, past, present, and future. As someone said, our Lord was compassion clothed in a human body. The old Puritan Thomas Goodwin said that Christ is love covered over in flesh. And the compassion of Yahweh seen in the face of Jesus Christ culminating in the cross to sufferer and sinner alike. Jesus was drawn to the sick and the suffering. Do you remember his own words? I haven't come for those who are well. I've come for those who are sick. I haven't come for those who are righteous. I haven't come for those who are self-righteous. I've come for those who know they are unrighteous. It's amazing. Jesus wasn't most at home amongst the religious bourgeoisie. He wasn't at home when uh, he wasn't most at home amongst the religious elite. He found a home amongst the gluttons, the prostitutes, the drunkards, the thieves, the sexually immoral. He was most at home amongst those who knew they needed a healer and they needed a savior. We could put it this way that the compassion of Christ was most fully embodied at the cross, whereby his wounds we are healed. So, where does that leave us, brothers and sisters? Where does that leave us, children of God? Let me give you a couple of things. Here's number one. You realize this morning that the compassionate heart of Jesus 
has been given to us. The fullness of Yahweh has been poured into Jesus and the fullness of Jesus has been poured into us by His Spirit. That means that we have the heart, we have that compassionate heart of Jesus by His Spirit. And Jesus wants that compassionate heart to be beating more and more and more. He wants us to be moving to, 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 to suffer and sinner alike, seeking to bring healing balm, seeking to alleviate the suffering wherever that is possible. We could put it like this, we are as the body of Christ. We are as the body of Christ. We are His compassionate mouth. We are His compassionate hands. We are His compassionate feet. May it be, BBC, that more and more that sufferer and sinner are more and more at home here. That sufferer and sinner would feel very at home here because they're amongst fellow sufferers and sinners. That there is a place for the brokenhearted here. There is a place for the most notorious sinners here. This is a place where we might, as they come, we might embrace them, hug them, take them in. You know, I, I was thinking about, for various reasons, I've been thinking about the, uh, the, 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 the parable of the prodigal son. And as I was thinking about that parable over and over and over, it suddenly occurred to me, you remember that the son, he starts to make his way home. Do you remember that? Luke 15, he starts to make his way home to the father. He comes to his senses. But where did he come from? Where was he before he came home? He was in the pigsty. He was living with the pigs, real pigs. And, 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 and suddenly I, I realized, like, this, the son is coming home and it says that the father saw him and the, the father sort of picks up his robe, as he like, and he runs and he charges and he hugs his son. And I suddenly realized the son has come out of a pigsty. He smells like a pig. He looks like a pig. He's unshaven. He's stinky. He's dirty. He's penniless. He's poor. He's, he's, ugh. And what does the father do? My son has come home. He doesn't ask his son to go and have a wash before he hugs him and he takes him in. How much more, brothers and sisters, here in the body of Christ, how much more the beating heart of compassion for one another, for brothers and sisters, that have been saved by grace through faith. How much more the compassionate heart of Jesus beating for one another. Let's make this just a little bit more personal. I'm sure that you're aware right now in this body of believers, there are various people at varying stages of cancer. Some a little further, some a little further back. Different levels, different depths. There are brothers and sisters in this place that are struggling and, and where, where, where Alzheimer's and dementia is becoming a major, major thing. 
There are brothers and sisters in this place, in this body, that are suffering with various physical ailments of various kinds. Right now, in this body of believers, there are brothers and sisters who have been crushed by the sin of others. They are living with the memories of abuse. They are living with the memories of spouses that have abused them and hurt them. There are brothers and sisters reliving every single day the memories of hurt done to them. And that we would dress ourselves in compassion. That we would come alongside, that we would listen, that we would, we would hear, that we would mourn with each other. We don't come alongside with pious platitudes, but we come alongside and we sit in the dust and we sit in the trench as it were. Holding broken hearts in our hands. By his wounds we are healed. And we are the compassionate mouth, hands, and feet of Jesus. And right now in this body of believers, we are all suffering the ravages of our own sin. Our own sin continues. Our own sin continues to come out of this mouth, out of our mouths, out of our fingers, out of our hands, out of our feet. Our sin towards others and the sin of others towards us is so devastating. And that means it needs so much compassion. If we're fellow sinners, sometimes compassion means that we need to just overlook a multitude of sins. Sometimes compassion means that we need to warn and admonish. But it always means patience. It always means bearing with one another. It always means that we persevere with one another. Compassion for fellow sinners always means grace, always means mercy, always means kindness, Always means gentleness. Always means humility. Let me make this personal for you as I start to close. My brother and sister, the Lord Jesus knows your wounds. Because he suffered your wounds. The Lord Jesus knows your sin. Because he became sin for you. At the cross. He took your suffering. And he took your sin. And he nailed it to the tree. So that one day. Both suffering and sin. Will not have the last word. Take your wounds to Jesus. Take your sin to Jesus. Perhaps this morning you need to be like that bleeding woman that reaches out and touches Jesus by faith. 
and you're saved. Perhaps you need to be like that leper this morning that falls before Jesus and says, Jesus, if you're willing, save me. He's willing. He's willing. That's his heart. For all who come to me, I will never turn away. Perhaps you're like that grief-stricken widow. Maybe you just need to hear Jesus say to you, I will provide. I will help you. I will be there. I will give you what you need. Just come to me. But that we might all be like the weeping, sinful woman falling down at the feet of Jesus with tears of joy that our Lord has taken our sin. And he nailed it to that tree. Perhaps you're just like Zacchaeus. You're up in the tree, the proverbial one anyway. And you're looking and you're looking. And you need to hear the words of Jesus. Come down. I need to make my home in your heart this day. What are your wounds? What is your sin? Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. We all need compassion, don't we? Can I have the music team? Sufferer, by his wounds, you will be healed fully one day. Sinner, by his wounds you will be forgiven now and forever. Oh, that we need compassion. And that this heart of Jesus would beat within us for each other and for a broken and sinful world out there. Shall we stand and sing?